the projected loss for the current financial year is um, projected at 1.2, 1.4 billion rands. Hello there again. I'm Peter Bruce, and this is just the fourth edition of my new podcast series for the Financial Mail. I've called it Podcast from the Edge in the hope of reflecting some of the anxiety I feel when people ask me what's going on, as if I might actually know. The truth, most of the time, is that I don't, which is why I started this podcast. It allows me to speak to people who do know what's happening. My guest today is not that well known, which is probably as it should be. Bongamusa Makatini is chairman of the board of the South African Broadcasting Corporation, the SABC. And he finds himself right now in the middle of a fierce row as we approach Christmas over the broadcaster's plans to make some 400 of his 3,000 staff redundant. It's the sort of thing that happens in the private sector all the time. But this is SABC, the public broadcaster, and its affairs are also the affairs of idle politicians. And they're all over Bonga Musa and his board because of what they plan to do. The chairman, though, is actually quite a remarkable person. He was appointed by Jacob Zuma in 2017, and he's still there three years later. SABC chairs hardly ever last that long, especially when they stand up to politicians the way this chairman and his board are doing now. But Bongamusa, before we go into the details of the SABC finances and the and the reason that you're doing what you're having to do, your own background itself is fascinating because you grew up in extremely poor circumstances, your background is one of poverty, out of which you emerged with qualifications from universities in Johannesburg, KwaZulu, and Harvard. How did that all happen, and how did you survive long enough to get where you are today? Thank you, Peter, uh, for this opportunity. I, I think what kept me going during those trying times of my, my, my life was the hope and the dream that I had. And the dream that kept me going was a dream to see my family really getting to a point where they can afford the basics. And how I achieved that, I dedicated myself to hard work, education, and focus, and disciplining myself, and really pushing myself to achieve what looked impossible. And with the help of God and those that supported me during those trying times, it became a reality. And this is where I am today. You, you put your own brothers and sisters through school, as I understand it. As a, as a child, you worked weekends and holidays to pay for their schooling. That's exactly what I, I, I did. Um, I started working at the age of 13 in the sugarcane plantation um, around the village where I grew up. And then I took over the responsibility to fund the education of my siblings. My younger brother is an engineer now, and um, my sister has got a degree. Um, and um, I helped my family really to defeat and, and come out of, of poverty and then help my parents. I built a home, a rural home for my parents, and then I've managed to afford to buy them a home in town. And, and these were important for me, one, to lead my family by showing, doing things and showing people that it is possible to achieve the impossible if you stay focused and remain uh, really disciplined in achieving what you've set for yourself. And having put them in, in a home in town and, and sisters and brothers um, up and running with roots and, and wings, it must be sometimes disappointing to look around you at the sort of relative mess that the country, given the promise of democracy, that the country is in. 
it is really disappointing and, and demoralizing, but at the heart of it, people have become so selfish and so focused on themselves that they don't care about anybody else as long as they and, them, and those that are close to them can enrich themselves at the expense of everybody. And I think that's what has killed the dream that we all have. I can imagine if in my family I did not help my siblings, um, where the family will be. You know, I am of the view that for us to move forward as a country or as an individuals, we've got to be sharing with others. And as we rise, lift others with us. And that's what I've tried to do with my family. Well, Marissa, so you, you, um, you were appointed by Jacob Zoom, and at one stage, um, I remember first coming across you when you were um, in charge of public affairs at South African breweries before it was taken over. Um, you were relatively close to the Zuma family, and I think you were the chairman of one of Jacob Zuma's wives' foundations. I think it was the lady who was interested in diabetes at the time. What was? How did that happen? How did that relationship occur? I got um, involved in the Bominga Mazuma Foundation. I was invited by a friend who was part of the foundation prior to me joining, uh, who had worked with me at Accenture. And at Accenture, I used to do projects that we, uh, had to do with strategy work, uh, systems integration, and process re-engineering. And the Bominga Foundation needed help with their strategy. And they, helped, they requested me to facilitate a workshop and a session for them design and develop a compelling strategy for the foundation. And then after I had done that, then they requested me to join them uh, in assisting them implementing and embedding that strategy that I had helped them develop. And that's how I then got involved. It's, it's interesting because, they, because Jacob Zuma have made a number of disastrous appointments, um, but a number of very good ones as well. Um, he, he appointed people forget sometimes, he appointed Tuli Madoncella. He also appointed Mohueng Mohueng, and he also appointed you. And I wanted to talk now about what you've been doing at the SABC because you've been there quite a while, and it's from probably the word go been a been a very hard slog. You you were appointed in 2017, um, and within a year or so, you'd lost most of your board to resignations. People had drifted off. And that made you very vulnerable, didn't it, to, to political interference? Yes, it did. You know, when our board became incorrect uh, in 2018, it was at a time when we had reached a point where uh, cost-cutting became the main focus that we had to drive. And, and when we were about to embark on Section 189, uh, there was quite an immense political pressure put on, on people. And, and some of our board colleagues decided to resign for a number of reasons. But at the heart of it, it was also lack of financial support uh, by the shareholder. At the time, we needed a bailout because of what had happened over a decade at the SAPC. Yeah. And some of the board members who resigned felt that because we're not getting the support and as directors, we're faced with directors' liability for trading recklessly because the company uh, was not in a financial good position. So some resigned which then made it difficult for the board to execute its work. But with the four board colleagues, which is uh, um, um, uh, who stayed with me, uh, we said we've done nothing wrong, and we're very clear what needed to be done, and we stayed the cause, yeah. and that's why we're still around. And we're joined then by other board members 
in April uh, 2019. That's right, because Cyril Ramaphosa appointed in appointed a new board, eight new people. I think he appointed in um, in April or May. Um, uh, was it this year or last year? I can't remember now. But what does political interference look like when it happens? I mean, does is it a phone call? Is it a visit? Is it an instruction? Or is it more insidious? Does it happen behind your back? Uh, and and does it show itself in unexpected ways? Actually, it's not hidden. I mean, whenever a board has taken a board resolution, which is a valid board resolution taken in a properly constituted board meeting, when that resolution is being interfered with, that is interference. And when somebody who does not necessarily have authority to in a direct or rather instruct the board to do something that has to do with the day-to-day -day running of the board. That is interference. When there is interference in terms of editorial decisions, in terms of what should be covered and what should not be covered and how it should be covered, that is interference. And every time yeah. when you are blocked from doing what you are supposed to do as a director, that is interference. And who, who do people call, who do ministers call when they see something on the TV or hear something on the radio that they don't like? Do they call you or do they call the CEO? There are instances where they call me, there are instances where they call the CEO, and there are instances where they call other people. Unfortunately, in boards, you will have instances where boards are made up of diverse uh, people in terms of skills, experience, orientation, and, yeah. and some can be more pliable and more willing to um, cooperate with politicians, which, which sometimes goes against what is at the best interest of the yeah. organization that you represent. And, yeah. and in my view, and what kept me going is to have a campus, and that campus must be um, the best interest of the entity, the founding uh, documents in terms of the ads, and as well as the fact that we're faced with. I mean, if you look at where we are now, our financial situation, our turnaround strategy, and what the Broadcasting Act mandates us to do in our MOI requires the board to do what is necessary to deal with the financial viability of the entity. And that is the prerogative of the board. Yeah, that's your, that's your fiduciary duty. The, so when I see a headline, as I'm looking at now, of um, 26 August, the headline says, Indabeni Abrams, this is a reference to Communications Minister Stella Indabeni Abrams, halts SABC job cuts over lack of staff consultation. And what's wrong with that headline is that the minister has no power to stop you doing what you're doing. Am I, am I right? You're 100% correct. The minister has got no power to halt retrenchments. As a shareholder, she has a responsibility and then the shareholder compact really guides and governs how we should work with the minister. Uh, we consult, and, 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 and the part of the reason why we've um, agreed on the 30-day extended period of consultation is to show South African and our own employees that we are willing to hear and take feedback, but the decision-making remains uh, the responsibility of the board. It's interesting, though. It's it's so. What you what has happened is that you have a um, you produced a plan to reduce the staff uh, by about four hundred people, in amongst no doubt a, a, a series of other arrangements and moves and strategies and decisions that we will talk about in a moment. Uh, but this has really got the politicians going so much so that um, SABC reporters have even been. Uh, 
uh, interviewing the world's sort of least reliable politicians uh, in in on their programs on your uh, platforms uh, to try and get political help to stop to stop these retrenchments. But without the retrenchments, what happens to the SABC, Bonga Musa? Maybe let me say without really tackling the cost at the SABC, SABC will collapse. It will follow the same route as SAA and Denel, where today they cannot afford to pay salaries. Let me explain what I mean by this. When the turnaround plan was put together, um, in any business anyway, you will always be dealing with revenue line and cost line. So from the cost line, the salary bill of the SAPC is sitting at about 43 45%, which is about 2.8 billion rands. And, and that is unsustainable. The other complication with it, let's take the news division. About 98% of the money there goes to salaries. In news, how much? About 98% of the money uh, in the news division goes to salaries. Good. Which means that division does not have enough money to fund resources like cameras and any other equipment that our journalists need, um, research capabilities and so forth. So if you're spending all the money on salaries, it does affect the quality of what you have to do. And it makes it hard for people to work in that area because they don't have the resources. Um, but again, when you look at the in general, because SAPC has not invested in content, which in return assists you with advertising revenue, it means our revenue from an advertising point of view are low. And yes, we were given a bailout of 3.2 billion rand, and part of that had to be invested in content. But it takes about 18 to 24 months to see the returns as a result of an investment in content, because to develop a very good program takes a long time. And to get your audience ratings moving up and to get people interested in advertising, placing their ads during that program takes time. So the truth of the matter is, if we don't, tackle the cost line at the SAPC, we will collapse. Another big drive, of course, at SAPC is signal distribution, which is centric. Yeah. It costs almost a billion rand, um, you know, in terms of what we pay centric. So those two, if you look at the salary bill, where we're looking to reduce about 700 million, and on the centric side, we're looking at reducing about half a billion, it will immediately give us about 1.2 billion rand, which is a projected loss, by the way, for the end of this financial year. Yes, because you've just reported a, a loss for last year to March um, of about 500 million rand, presumably, and that was before COVID and lockdown. So presumably this year is going to be a multiple of that, yeah? Certainly, the, the projected loss for the current financial year is um, projected at 1.2, 1.4 billion rands. And the big uh, chunk of that is as a result of the um, COVID-19 lockdown period, because during the lockdown period, as the public broadcaster, we had to displace quite a number of our normal programming to make way for public announcements and all the press conferences that the ministers had, um, and we're not paid for that. So that will drive our losses for the end of this financial year. Did, um, um, so, so given, given, given that you're looking at more losses, um, you've also, under, and, and that you're under political pressure not to make these cost savings, you've, you've been more than gracious, I would have thought, you and your board, 
you've you've added an extra month of contemplation, shall we say, where you're going to hire or find a, an independent mediator um, to 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 talk through the process that you've been or to make some sort of adjudication. Are you are, do you expect to change what you and the board have decided on? What will this independent um, mediation achieve for you? I think in the main is transparency and allowing those that have a view that there are alternatives that we may have not uh, entertained or considered to come forward with those because we are confident that the process was comprehensive and was fair. But one way of proving that is to allow those who believe there is something that you may have missed to come forward and, and present that. And an independent um, facilitator really will be able to bring um, some objectivity because as a board, we seem to be having a, a management, having a vested interest and unions are on the other side uh, holding a particular posture and a particular view. And, and, and then an expert in the field can come in and look at what has been done and then advise both parties and assist us to move forward. Um, I can't preempt what will come out of it, but it is a process that we had to embark on to show people that we we, we are open to get feedback and we are yeah. prepared to be as transparent as possible. But also it's not about just waking up and retrenching people. It's about following the process. And of course, part of this is a compliance issue for us. When we were given the 3.2 bailout uh, by National Treasury, we were given a clear condition to cut our salary bill. Um, so it's not something that is just... Um, you know, that is being um, thought of now. Yeah. Also, our turnaround plan, which was sponsored and supported by the Department and National Treasury, also indicated the importance of us cutting our costs. As early as 2018, 2017, we were already talking about a salary uh, bill, which means then we've had over two years to discuss and debate and consider a number of things. And of course, people jump and say, um, why the first thing that you do is retrenchment. That's also not correct. I mean, you'll recall that when we came in as a board, one of the things we did, we stopped fighting uh, soccer games because we were renegotiating a lot of these contracts. Yeah. So a lot of these contracts have been renegotiated. We've been um, driving consequence management as a result of the public protectors report, SIU investigation, where we've really disciplined more than, I would say, more than 200 people have been subjected to DC as a result of the remedial action coming out of a public protector or our own forensic investigation. I mean, we've signed a deal with Telcom not long ago, which is a new revenue stream. We've renegotiated the contract we had with the multi-choice. So a lot of other things have happened yeah. without touching our employees. So to say we've just jumped into retrenchment is actually disingenuous. I'd like to come to some of the things that you have done because they're interesting and the future of the SABC is interesting. But I was um, um, I was both amused and astonished to, to, to see some of the numbers um, in, in the annual report, which was released, I think, last week, which showed basically an average salary at the SABC of about 800,000 rand a year, which is extraordinary. Um, uh, obviously, these numbers are... are are always lifted by um, you know the the, the, the higher executive uh, the higher pay that executives get, um, but the but the but the but the money paid to people at the SABC and the conditions under which they work, the holidays they're allowed, the sick leave, 
are extraordinary. You wouldn't find that anywhere in the private sector anymore. You are correct. And, and, and in the main, SABC employees have enjoyed more than CPI increases in the last 10 years prior to us joining in 2017. And that has actually put SABC uh, in, a, in, a, in a very high levels of, of salaries and, and packages. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, that is also at the heart of where we find ourselves, where our salary bill is out of the norm. When you do a benchmark, for an example, with your multi-choice and your e-media, they spend less than 20% of their total expenditure on salaries. And the bulk of their money goes to content, which is the right way of um, deploying your resources, your financial resources. What what happens to you, Bongaris? I mean, what when when does your how long is your term? Uh, what are the rules go- governing how long you could stay in this job? It's a five-year um, uh, um, arrangement. So okay. I joined in 2017. So my term of office ends uh, in 2022 October. Okay. And and do you have what? Uh, I only ask you that because I wanted to see whether you'd be around long enough to take advantage of the. Um, restructuring that you're doing at the moment. I mean, what does the SABC look like in two years' time or in five years' time? Maybe you won't be around, but, but you know, whenever you look at a media business these days as traditional um, and as over, as over, perhaps overstaffed, certainly over, um, over, overpriced as the SABC is, um, you kind of get the impression, looking at other examples, that basically you, you, you're finished, you know, that there's no way out of the trap that you're in because you've got streaming services uh, coming up to, to, you know, to eat your lunch. Um, people don't sit down anymore and watch TV. They watch their phones. Well, how do you save the SABC? Is what you're doing going to save the SABC or is it going to, or is it, will it change it fundamentally? <laughs> If you look at our turnaround plan, really gives a sense of what must happen at the end. So, for an example, we need to get our management of our employee cost within the national treasury guidelines for state-owned entities. That's one. But secondly, we have to increase um, our TV license fee collection by 30%. We also have to grow our revenue um, from an advertising point of view post-COVID by 20%. And we have to be allowed space and room to implement our turnaround plan. And of course, um, we also have to achieve quite a number of regulatory and legislative reforms. For example, there is a, 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 an issue around the mass carry, sports rights acquisition. Uh, there's quite a number of regulation and somehow legislations that are impeded, impacting on the ability of the SAPC to be financially viable. So yeah. if all of those are achieved and implemented, you will have an SAPC that is transformed from a digital point of view. I mean, you would have seen, I think last month, we issued an RFI on the OTT platform. We have to migrate to operate in a digital um, a platform and be everywhere and be available and be able to place our content in different platforms, making it accessible to millions of South Africans who love SAPC content. So those are the things that need to be done, but the real drain to the fiscus and to rely on taxpayers' money to be able to do its work. Yes. And, and part of the problem, of course, is that you're also captive to, to government plans in a way to, 
um, auction off um, digital spectrum because there is still somewhere in the post office warehouses, heaven knows where in the country, there is still 800,000, I'm told, 800,000 set-top boxes um, for what was going to be, I think it was called the, what was it, the DDT platform, um, which was going to be the sort of, you know, lead out the digital uh, um, uh, transformation of, of, of broadcasting generally in the country. But that technology is now all old. You don't need DDT. What you need, certainly to get to listeners in places like Mpangeni, where you come from, you need satellite, don't you? That, that's true. I mean, the, the, the platform that is uh, being put and, and supported by government is DTT, which is what Sentech has been tasked to, to manage. And of course, when you look at other competitors of ours, they are already on DTH, which is specifically uh, basically satellite. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it's cost effective for us to be on satellite, but also it's, it's a trend. It's where, I mean, if you look at all the telcos, they're using uh, satellites to run their base station. And, and somehow, it, this is one of the challenges where government takes certain policy directive or decisions that are impacting on the ability of the SABC to be financially viable and force SABC to uh, uh, go down the route that is not financially making sense for us. And this is why we've put a motivation and um, advanced and, uh, you know, our reasoning behind wanting a balance between DTT and DTT. Yeah. Well, if, if presumably there is one thing that can stop you, stop this process going ahead, and that would be um, uh, success for the unions in court, I presume. Uh, if they could interdict the Section 189 process, you would have to obey that. The minister can't stop you. But let's assume that it goes well for you and you get the process through and the courts don't stop you and the minister can't stop you. What is your relationship going like going to be like with the government and your minister once it's all done? I still have a view that government wants what's best for this country and they would want what is best for the SOEs. And if you look at what the SAPC board and management have been able to do is to show that it is possible to turn around these entities. And, and if you look at the caliber of the executives that we've been able to attract and what we've been able to achieve under very difficult times, I am of the view that everybody, when they look at um, the outcome of what we're doing, they will all be proud of what we've achieved as a collective. And, and part of the reason why we continue to engage political parties and all other key stakeholders, and, and I'm very open to engagements, is because we can't win this alone as the board, but we do need South Africans to understand where we're coming from and where we need to be. It might not be comfortable and be easy, but somehow, you know, to, to really build and turn around and, and deal with the damage that was done over years, it will require all of us to sacrifice and make a contribution. Part of that contribution talks to us looking at this Section 189 entrenchment, looking at reviewing, you know, uh, uh, some of the, the benefit that SAPC employees get, and at the same time saying, we want our children to inherit a healthy public broadcaster. And for that to happen, it means we need to be making a sacrifice today. You, you, you're still in, you're a non-executive chairman, right? So you still, are you still with um, a BAT, the tobacco company? No, I'm, I'm a non-executive chairman. Uh, when I took over the role as chairman in 2017, yeah. it became too demanding because 
DHT is at the same time they were in a difficult space, and I had to make a choice and decided to focus on the SAPC and serve my country. It was an opportunity for me to make a contribution. I wasn't there when the country was liberated, and I thought contributing in turning around an SAPC would be my contribution. That is beyond my, my so is the SABC now your full-time preoccupation, if not your job? Yes, it's been. Um, I run my own consulting business uh, on the side, and I have um, a, a business that fixes cars, and I'm into some farming things that I do um, um, on the side. But to be honest, I've given SABC all my time uh, for the past three years. You also, by the way, in studio business that fixes cars, um, if I remember correctly, you also have a shoe repair business, of, or you owned one at one stage. Yes, I used to own a Multisef, a shoe fixing business in town. Uh, I closed that one down. Uh, you know, when you look at the city of Johannesburg and where it is, yeah. it became hard for us to obtain high rental uh, because other guys could fix their shoes at the corner of the street without yeah. subject being subjected to high rental and all of So I had to close that business down and yeah. venture into other things. And there's a farm somewhere with some cattle on it, right? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm now part of the, the livestock worth farming, uh, which is owned by Ntutuko Shezi, where he supplied meat to Woolies. So I've got um, uh, over 100 cows uh, with him uh, on that scheme, but I'm doing my things also back home in my village. Uh, Musa, just talk. let's talk about the country again for the moment. I mean, what do we have to do? It, we're in such a terrible situation. Um, uh, we, it's close, you know, it's a minute to midnight, 30 seconds to midnight. What, what can the president do? Because ultimately you, you're looking here for leadership. What can he do to, to, to turn us around, to begin to turn us around, to, to give people some hope and make life not feel so bleak? or the future feels so bleak? There is a saying that says, if you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader, sell ice cream. Leadership is about decision. And as a leader, why people will elect you to lead them is because they believe you can lead them. And, and, and then you must lead. And when you lead, there will be instances where you have a vision and a sight that other people, your followers, may not necessarily see at the time. But as a leader, you have to channel their vision and their dreams to a and, and, and mobilize them towards a particular purpose. And, and that's what we need. We need not to focus much of, on being liked and pleasing everybody for now, but doing what's best for the country. And what's best for the country may not be best for you and for your immediate interest. If you look at what we have done at the SAPC, uh, other people see us as people who are just coming from private sector, who are so fixated in managing costs and dealing with costs. But the truth of the matter, that's what the, the entire country needs to, uh, to do. We need to reset, press a reset button. And pressing a reset button is not comfortable because there are people who've benefited from the chaos there are people who enjoy the difficulty we are under because they are eating and they're having fun. But yeah. that may not serve the next generation. To serve the next generation means disciplining yourself and depriving yourself of certain pleasures today so that the next generation then can have a country to inherit. A 
And in my view will be, we have to make the tough decisions and we have to do what is necessary, not maybe for this generation, but for the next generation. And do you think we have the right person in the job to do that? It gets very hard to do a performance evaluation for uh, uh, your leaders when you're not in that position, because they might tell me it's because you're not here, you don't know what we have to deal with. But I think we, we need to prioritize the country. And that should be what our leaders should focus on. Mm. You know, not the and, party. and not the party, because actually sometimes a political line or position may not serve the best interest of the country. If you look at, I mean, ANC is voted by millions of South Africans, not just ANC members. So at the end of the day, the country belongs to everyone, all South Africans, not just a particular political party. And in, in, in that sense, we have to be listening and we have to be honest about our reality. You know, we, you know, there is a book by Collins that talks about facing your brutal facts. The brutal fact is, as a country, we are broke. As a country, we have no sense of how the future would look like. But it all depends on the decisions that we make today. I'm going to leave it there, Bongo Musa. Thank you very, very much for joining me. Thank you very, very much for, for the work that you've done at the SABC, for putting up with all the nonsense that I'm sure that you have to do day after day in your job. Um, uh, I hope you have a very, very productive uh, next two years uh, in office, and I hope that you have a slightly peaceful holiday period. Um, and I hope too that we get to have another conversation before you leave. Thanks so much for being my guest uh, on Podcast from the Edge today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'll be back with you one or two more times before the holidays begin. So please stay with me and I promise you really good guests and conversation in return. Bye for now.